Hi, this is The Greatest Story Ever Played. I'm Dan, and today I'm going to be talking about what remains of Edith Finch. So a description for this game is, What Remains of Edith Finch is a collection of strange tales about a family in Washington State. As Edith, you'll explore the colossal Finch house, searching for stories as she explores her family history and tries to figure out why she's the last one in her family left alive. Each story you find lets you experience the life of a new family member on the day of their death, with stories ranging from the distant past to the present day. So background on this game is it's developed by Giant Sparrow, whose first game was called The Unfinished Swan, and What Remains of Edith Finch is their second. So, little info there. So, as the description said, you go through uh, this house. It's this mansion with rooms added on and secret passages and clutter everywhere, uh, that sort of deal. And you end up kind of going room to room, learning a little bit about the past, about different people who lived in that home, whether uh, your own siblings or your par parents or or grandparents uh, or further back family. So that that's kind of how the story is told. And each story ends up being told through a specific event from that family member's life, uh, which I guess with the description, it would be their death. Sometimes it was a little confusing to me if they died then, but um, that's neither here nor there. You got a little snapshot into their life, uh, which was pretty interesting thing to do. I guess style of this game too, before getting into it, is it's definitely more of the uh, quote-unquote walking sim style where it's similar to like a Firewatch or a Dear Esther or something like those games. Uh, so you can interact with the world around you but you've more or less are set on a path that's pretty straightforward and your actions are pretty limited. You can't like pick up everything or do all the things. Instead it's like you can open this window or go through this door or whatever, that kind of thing. So that, that's kind of the style of game it is. As you go through the house and going to each room, Edith has this uh, piece of paper that has a family tree written on it with people's names. And then when you hear their story, she ends up coloring them in on it uh, or drawing them in on it. And that's kind of how you keep pace with where you're at and also you know who you know about and what have so what i'm gonna do is i'm not gonna go through it how it went through in the game instead i'm gonna go kind of family tree oldest to present day that seemed to be uh, best in my book your first person in the family tree is odin he lived from 1880 to 1937 and you learn his story from a, a slideshow of how the Finches came to the United States. So uh, I don't know if you remember uh, those slideshow things when you were a kid where you'd like pull the right side and it would switch the picture over and you'd pull it again and then switch the picture over. It was that style. Uh, so th this was a cool way just to kind of see, okay, the Finches uh, immigrated here. How Here's how they got here. Here's what happened. That kind of deal. His was good for setting the stage, I would say, for the Finches. Perhaps one of the lesser entertaining stories, but uh, it certainly set the stage, which is important. The next up, we have Molly, and uh, she lived from 1937 to 1947. And the story is about her waking up and eating everything. Edith goes and 
looks and reads her journal, and it's a journal entry from Molly about how she woke up and ate everything. And it starts off, she wakes up, she tells us that she went to bed without dinner because uh, her mom sent her to bed. And so she eats what she could find. She finds something in her room. She recognizes her Halloween candy is gone. She eats some berries off of, it looked like decoration. She eats a bunch of toothpaste. And then she says that she turns into a cat. And she's on her tree. And she's chasing after this bird, which she ultimately gets. Then she ends up becoming a bird. And while she is a bird, she's chasing down rabbits and scooping them up and eating them. After this, she becomes a shark. And then as a shark, she's going and she's eating sea lions. And then after this, she ends up becoming a monster, uh, which it looked like octopus legs. I don't know if it was like uh, a different creature than that, but a monster and she her tentacle like slithers onto the boat and pulls sailors down and eats them. Ends up back in her room and it kind of ends with, and the monster was under my bed and I knew it wanted to eat me, but I knew if I went to bed, it wouldn't eat me. So I didn't want to go to bed, but we both knew that I would be delicious. And it's a very cool, super creative here. I really liked this. This was one of the first ones in the game uh, that you get of a backstory. And it was fascinating. Uh, really cool how this was done. Next up, we have Barbara. And she uh, lived from 1944 to 1960. And she was a child star in her room, you see posters and stuff from when she was in a movie as a child and the story told about her is actually through a comic book that's in her room about her death which Edith was sort of surprised that that's what would be inside the room and this is super cool you end up opening up the comic book and the story is told through the comic book so you're kind of going through the pages occasionally you're interacting within them other times you just are seeing it go and the word bubbles and stuff. It, it, it was pretty cool. And the premise of the comic book is is that Barbara was trying to get a uh, revive her movie career. So she was a child star. She had the signature scream that was excellent. But now she's a teenager. Her scream isn't as good. Um, but this is her kind of chance to bounce back. She's in a horror film. She'll get to unleash the scream and show that she still got it. And could become a star and so her boyfriend is trying to scare her to elicit the scream it doesn't really work and she gets mad her boyfriend throws him out but then there's a person who i feel like very like 50s style killer like a man with a hook for a hand uh, which was funny uh ends up being in the house and hunts after her while this is going on, it the Halloween music uh, from the movie Halloween is going, which is incredible. I actually looked online, and they got it authorized to use that from John Carpenter. And they were even going to maybe have him do it himself, um, but then he just ended up authorizing something, which is super cool. To get uh, the Halloween music going, it made this comic book scene especially cool. She's running from the hook hand. Uh, ultimately thinks she's going to be killed, and then there's a surprise party for her, and it's a bunch of monsters in costume, but somehow she dies in it. Um, I was a little confused here, to be honest, but I might just be dumb. But I love this. I thought this was very cool. Comic book style going through it was awesome. Halloween music, excellent. 
really cool. Also, Barbara, I don't know if this is um, uh, Night of the Living Dead, I think, reference. We're coming to get you, Barbara, but uh, it was cool. Very cool. I liked Barbara a lot. That was a good story. Next up, we've got Calvin, um, and he lived from 1950 to 1961. And you learn this story from a letter from Sam that's about Calvin. And Sam is Calvin's twin brother. It's about how Calvin was, you know, always determined. Once he got it in his head that he wanted to do a thing, he would do it. And your action learning this story is Calvin trying to swing all the way around on the swing set. And so you're swinging and you're pumping your legs and you're going further and further and you're hoping to go all the way over and do a complete turnaround. You seemingly get it as the story ends and uh, it leads to your demise. This was pretty cool. The, the motion was really trippy on this too. It really felt like you were swinging. My uh, head was just like, ooh. So that, that was cool. Next up we've got Sam, 1950 to 1983. And this story is told through uh, taking his daughter, who um, is Dawn, uh, I believe, who's Edith's mom, uh, taking her on a hunting trip. And through this memory, it's you get to take varying photos of what's going on. So you could take a picture of your dad, you could take a picture of a lake, whatever it's going. And you're going hunting to shoot a deer. Ultimately, you see the deer and you shoot it and are going to take photos with it. So your daughter's up there, and she's sitting by the deer. She's just sobbing, um, which is sad. And you're setting the photo, the camera up on a timer so you can run over there and be with her and the deer for the kill. Um, she says, hey, the deer is kind of twitching. I'm worried about this. And you're like, nah, it's normal. And you get down there to pose. The deer twitches, and it knocks you off this cliff leading to your demise. Uh, <laughs> I, it was, I, I laughed. I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> that one felt like the uh, good dark humor in it, for sure, um, compared to some of the other ones that just felt sad. But this one, uh, I, what I thought was, I don't know, a couple of contrast of things in here. So I, 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 I've never went hunting or anything like that. So you know, I don't have personal experience in this, but I could definitely see if you're a person who grew up hunting that you'd want to take your kids, that that's an important thing. And so you'd take your daughter to, you know, you got to shoot a deer. I get, I, I could see why someone would do that. That makes sense. I could also see why you would need to cry a lot after your first deer kill. Imagine that's a pretty tough experience. I could see why Don would be doing them. I also can see why you would take a photo of that moment. Um, but if your kid is sobbing after killing the deer, no, I don't think that's probably the Kodak moment. It seems like you should save that for another time. Maybe just get a picture of the deer and move on. <laughs> uh, but whatever, I don't know. It, it just kind of struck me as funny and uh, for people to die in such a silly way, it kind of fit, I thought. So uh, that was funny. Next up, we've got Walter who lived from 1952 to 2005. And we find out that he actually lived in the basement of the Finch house for 30 years. Uh, it seemed he 
essentially got maybe spooked about the outside world or just decided he didn't want it anymore. And so he just lives in this basement and he tells us about the story about how he did the same thing over and over. You'd think living by yourself would be too hard, but no, I can do it because of my routines that it's fine. And so he's doing them and there's a noise that you can kind of hear through the basement on kind of the other side of the wall and used to always make noises and it was like, you know, I was afraid of it for a little while and then I just decided that's just how it is. It's not a big deal. Then one day the noise stopped. After the noise was gone for a week, I decided, all right, I've got to go find this noise. There's the monster there, whatever. I have to deal with it. So he breaks through the wall and he's walking in this hallway. Yeah, this hallway of sorts. A big light comes, boom, hit by a train. <laughs> it was under a train tracks. <laughs> a train tracks went under their home <laughs> and he's killed by it. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, next up, we've got Gus. And Gus lived from 1969 to 1982. And this story takes place at the beach of the Finch house where his dad is getting remarried. And Gus was pissed about this, so he said, I'm not coming to the wedding, I'm just gonna fly my kite here, and you can't, you know, I'm not gonna participate, basically. I don't need a stepmom. And so through it, Gus is just flying his kite, there's different things going on. You find out there was a storm, so everyone moved from the beach to a tent uh, next to the beach. You keep flying. The kite, uh, ultimately, this hurricane of sorts, or tornado, some sort of natural disaster sets in. It picks up the chairs and stuff that were there. It picks up the tent. It ultimately picks you up. And the narrator in the story, Dawn, she says, I, was, I wish I could say that I wondered where you were during this time, but I didn't, and I only thought about it once we found you. So... Tragedy, again, in the Fence household. Uh, the next one is Gregory, who uh, lived from 1976 to 1977. And we learn about this from a letter in his crib. And it's from uh, his father to his mother. And the story picks up and he's taking a bath and talks about how he was such a happy kid that, uh, you know, he was always laughing to himself as if he weren't in the room. He was cracking up. He was so smiley, this kind of stuff. And the kid is, uh, uh, Gregory, he's in the bathtub, and he's got, like, a frog and toy duckies and all of this, and you end up playing as the toy frog, and you're just, like, swimming around, uh, jumping on things, knocking uh, other toys over. The, there were ducks that were in like bubbles floating and you like pop the bubbles and they fall into the tub that you can play with too. And his mother comes in and says, okay, we're going to get you out of the bath, drains the water, and then she gets a phone call and she answers and says, oh, I don't want Gregory to hear this. Gregory, stay here. I'll be right back. And then in the water, or in the bathtub, the water gets going again. Um, and you play with the toys for a little while, but then you switch from being, uh, the frog to being Gregory and you're kind of underwater, under the sea, 
and then you go towards the bathroom, uh, the clogger in there, and, uh, yeah, that's the story. This one was really sad. Um, this really bummed me out. I had to walk away from the game for a few minutes, because, uh, this fucking sucks. <laughs> this is just rough. Uh, the Playing in the bathtub was pretty nice, uh, but uh, this was super sad. So I had to take five for sure. Uh, rough stuff. Next up, we've got Lewis. And Lewis lived from 1988 to 2010. And Lewis was uh, one of Edith's brothers. He's a pothead of sorts. Definitely based on his room, he had, like, a legalized marijuana poster and, like, a lava lamp and, like, typical, uh, quote-unquote pothead stuff, but also seemed to have other stuff going on. Uh, perhaps he was a heavier drug user, um, different things like this. So you learn this story through a letter from his uh, psychologist or psychiatrist to his mother about had kind of went on. And Lewis worked at a cannery, so he worked at this uh, fish shop where chop the fish's head off, send the fish uh, down the conveyor belt, and they, you know, end up being put into cans. That that's his job, and so it's pretty monotonous. And what you end up having is the story be told while you are simultaneously cutting the fish, uh, which uh, was mind numbing. They, they, this um, was very emotionally powerful. They connected this very well. So you're, um, you know, move the fish over, chops the fish off, heads off, throw the fish, grab another one, you do that. So you're doing that, but as the story is being told, it says that Lewis had this giant imagination. And it starts describing his imagination, you know, first he becomes mayor of Lewistown, but then he, he's king, but then he sets out on a voyage, and he keeps uh, conquering new towns, so there's like St. Lewiston, New, La new Lewistown, uh, Minneapolis, except Lewis is at the end. Uh, like, <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, he's going through, and then it's ultimately that he is going to meet this queen uh you can you have the option to either meet a prince or a queen um and then attributes about them ultimately going to meet the queen uh last thing to do is put the crown on his head and you can see a guillotine of sorts there you lean your head forward to put the crown on and then you go back to the letter and you know what happened next uh he canned himself Ooh, it was crazy. Super, super trippy uh, being there. Next up, we've got Milton, uh, 1992 through 2003. And what you get is this uh, flip book of a magic paintbrush. And you're going through, and in the magic paintbrush, he ends up like painting a door. And then he paints a handle on it, and he's actually able to open the door and go through. And Milton actually disappeared so he doesn't die like on his tombstone in uh the family graveyard next to the house which is a whole other thing uh that we can come back to uh but it just says 1992 it doesn't have a death date but 
in Edith's uh, little map that she's drawing as it goes, she does put one. So he goes missing one day um, and is never seen after this. He disappears, which is sad. And in their house, you see a lot of these missing posters for Milton. So that that was pretty rough. That was pretty rough. But so I guess now that I'm on the topic of it, the graveyard. So inside the Finch house, there's a section of a graveyard for all the family members, uh, which is unique for sure. And that this family has lived here for generations at this point, just adding on to the house more. But then also there's um, a pet cemetery in it, which... Uh, I thought was amusing, um, both as being a Stephen King fan, King fan. I don't know if that's a reference there or not, but the pet cemetery. It's pretty funny because if you look at the tombstones for the pets, they all have very silly names. Like uh, there was Derpy, Derpy Two, Werpy, Chirpy, Burpy. Like they all have names like that. Uh, so the kids uh, were definitely silly in the naming of their pets. Uh, back then so that, or in in the finch household so that was pretty funny the last main sequence you get is about the night that they left and so edie who is the grandmother dawn the mother and then edith the character you play up as are at dinner and edie leaves this uh book to edith about her story and you uh get sent away from dinner because dawn and edie are fighting and so uh Edie's like oh go to the library I left you a present and it's this story written down and you hear this argument between Don and Edie uh that Edie says our uh Don says all of our family has died this is because you want to tell these stories this is your fault essentially and Edie on the other hand is like no these stories need told they're important part of our history, basically. And so you, you hear the fight, and then you're reading through, and Edie is telling you the story about how one day she woke up and the water had really receded by the side of their house, so much so that the old house could actually be walked to. And so you start, uh, then you transform, you know, you're into Edie's mind, and you're walking towards the old house, and there's a... Uh, been this old house with like a red light in the distance in the middle of the water that just looked like junk or like a barge or something like that. It turns out it's their old house, the original Finch house that uh, got you know built when they first all moved here. And you're walking out towards it, you're getting closer, but then your mom comes in and sees what you're reading and she grabs the book and you guys both pull and it rips apart. After this, your mom literally just grabs you, throws you in the car, and you guys leave immediately. You don't finish packing. You're done. We are out of here. They leave. You find out that Edie dies that night, and uh, no one has lived in the house since. After this, Don and Edith are on their own. They traveled from place to place, but they never really connected somewhere. Don ultimately gets sick and dies. There's a sad part here where you hold hands with your mom on her way out. Oh, that was rough. Then it's Edith writing this story to her unborn child. Uh, a little bit earlier in the story, you find out that uh, you're pregnant in it. Uh, Edith says, you know, climbing through the finch house, like, 
I didn't really want to do this, and if I knew there was so much climbing, I don't know if I'd do it because I'm pregnant uh, or whatever. So you hear that, um, but then back at the end, it, pick, it uh, comes back to being pregnant. Needless is writing this story so that her unborn child will be able to read it someday. And inside this, it looks like you're kind of um, in utero, uh, kind of. So it seems like it's, it's um, yeah, I don't know, kind of looks like that. Uh, <laughs> you're inside. It, it's like colorful and stuff like that, though. So it doesn't look like an actual human body, but that's the vibe I got. Um, but Edith is writing the story uh, in hopes that her kid, uh, who will be born, will be able to read it. But she says, maybe it's uh, dumb that I'm writing it down because I am hoping... Uh, to just be able to tell you the stories myself. But, you know, if you are reading these, it's because I'm not here to tell you them. And then it pans out, and there's a young boy at the grave of Edith Finch reading these stories. End. All right. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm a big fan this game, I thought it was fantastic. Most definitely the best uh, quote-unquote walking sim that I've played. And I thought, uh, you know, yeah, more than Firewatch or Dear Esther or some of the other ones. And I really like Firewatch. I think it is a good game. Um, but I thought What Remains of Edith Finch was absolutely fantastic. I thought that uh, the art style in this was really cool. Just the creativity that uh, was expressed in these variety of stories was, uh, I don't know, top tier, really. I think if anyone is pursuing any creative undertakings, the two and a half hours or three hours or whatever it takes to play this game are well worth investing. Uh, I thought that just the creative, I don't know, visuals, the way to tell these stories, uh, and uh, just this unique uh premise and everything i don't know i thought it was great i i think i think that there's a lot of ways this story could have been told that could have been less engaging or less good or i don't, I don't know anything like that i thought that they really hit it home and uh, you know i'm definitely going to be on the lookout for the next game they uh create because this told stories in i thought a pretty unique way and uh, i don't know it was pretty noteworthy so I thought that was really cool. Another thing in the game that I really liked was there were books scattered everywhere. You know, on each you know floor there was books. In different rooms there were books. And uh, throughout that, it seemed uh, that they were even specified, the books were specified kind of to the individual who they would be for. So in the kitchen there were like all these cookbooks. Or in... Uh, I think it was Walter in the basement. There were all these like books on like exorcism and like shit like that. So it was kind of cool to see the books that were on there. Um, and something, two books I noticed. I, I was trying to read them occasionally to see what books were there and if they're real ones. I did see two real ones. I'm sure there were more, but I saw Call of the Wild and Oryx and Crake. Uh, so that was cool, Call of the Wild by Jack London and Orcs and Crake by Margaret Atwood. I thought that was cool to see some real books just listed in there. And I'm, I'm sure there were more that I missed. I thought that was pretty cool to see just being um, a big book nerd like I am. To just see books shouted out was pretty enjoyable. As a mild critique on there, it was 
also pretty evident that they made maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12 books that they gave titles to, but then they just copied and pasted them throughout the room. So, you know, there would be eight copies of Call of the Wild or something like that. Um, and I'm not a game developer, and I don't know how many people bothered to look at the books besides me anyway. Um, so I get why they would do it. I 100% get it. I, As a personal like book nerd, I would have loved to have seen 200 books get listed through uh, the house or whatever, but I also get 100% why they didn't. And putting titles down versus it being nothing or something generic like history book, um, still very cool. So mild complaint, but really, uh, I don't know. That's super minor and probably almost no one noticed. I just happened to because I'm a book nerd. But I guess on the other side, if that's my main critique or one of my critiques, um, you made a pretty fucking good game. So <laughs> good job, guys. Um, yeah, so that, that's a couple general thoughts. Um, but I wanted to uh, bring some listener feedback then uh, on this, um, some of your guys' thoughts here. So first I've got from Weird Wolf on Twitter. And he said the game was brilliant. I agree. Very, very good. Very good. Uh, next on, uh, next up, we've got Chris on Twitter who said he loved it. It was a really good story and the graphics were fun. Uh, yeah, I thought so too. I thought the graphics looked really good. There were a couple times where you looked at photos of people uh, that looked really good or seeing people occasionally. It, for, uh, I don't know, being an indie game, it looked really, really good. Um, you know, sometimes with indie games... Um, the looks department goes down, and, you know, that's fine. You kind of know what you're running into. But uh, this game looked pretty good, actually, uh, on top of having an awesome story. Next up is uh, Eskertalt on... Or uh, Eskerlot. Uh, sorry if I'm saying that wrong. On Twitter, he said, Beautiful game with a story to match. The story does have some problems, in my opinion, but has enough ways to engage to me to overcome them. Quirky humor, the ending was unexpected for me. Yeah, I found uh, the humor uh, pretty funny and quirky too. I I was trying to describe the game to my wife and I, I brought up that it had some kind of uh, Coen Brothers-ish feel. Like I know, I know it's different, but they definitely hit up darkness and humor where you can kind of laugh at it like um, uh, the guy. Uh, getting knocked off the deer, the knocked off the cliff by the deer that he thought was dead or something like that. Like it, it's funny and weird uh, kind of thing. So I I kind of described it that way. I thought the humor was good, and the couple laughs that were in there were definitely helpful to kind of counteract uh, some of the more sadness there. Uh, and and made a topic that's heavy like death um, be able to be more palatable. I guess, uh, you know, there's definitely a version of this game where it could just be really harsh and unenjoyable. And instead, this one was not that. Instead, it was very enjoyable. And, uh, you know, sadness at some parts, but a lot of it not really, despite the fact that it's how everyone does. <laughs> um, and Alzared on Twitter said, I loved every minute of it. It was uh, creepy and sad. The Finch family really was cursed, it seems. The sad twist at the end was unexpected as well. Yeah, uh, the Finch family certainly does seem cursed. That basically all of them died as children. Um, 
or fairly young, uh, that was that was pretty rough to see. You know, just man, no one no one made it too long, and uh, I don't know what the curse would be. Is it that you're acknowledging the curse that makes it true? I, I'm not sure. I I don't know how that works. I wonder if Edith wouldn't have written this down if um, her kid would have been free from the curse. That makes me feel like, uh, you know, it's coming for him next, kind of. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Definitely feel cursed. Um, and agreed with um, Alzerad and also uh, Escarlot on the ending. Uh Definitely sad and unexpected. I, I thought that we would stay with Edith, and it was a surprise that she hadn't made it either. And I liked, I think I liked that that surprise happened. Um, because your character development was really with their family, so it kind of makes sense that it would happen to Edith. You know, it, it, it didn't feel like killing off Edith was like an unnecessary gut punch, but it almost was like, oh, and that's the whole Finch family, except, you know, now the kid or whatever. So I don't know. That was, yeah, that was something. I was, I was definitely surprised. Uh, Brian on Twitter said, overall interesting when gameplay correlates to the story, it's goddamn magical. Uh, the factory being the best example. Yes. Uh, the story and the gameplay, very much so. Each thing that you did, in the gameplay, same thing with the story. The factory with Lewis chopping the fish, and you'd also use your hand to navigate your kind of imagination world on the side, uh, which was kind of hard to keep it going straight. I kept being worried that I might accidentally chop my hand off. So uh, there was some healthy fear, I guess, in that for me. Uh, or, you know, being... Uh, being Molly and being uh, like the bird, getting the rabbits. Uh, you you did the flying and then you did the swooping down to get it or the shark going after the seal. Super cool. Very cool uh, that you learn the story by acting it out in some regards and stuff. Uh, that that was your action. That was cool. And then uh, Epic Glitter. Great and powerful game. Also pretty cool for Southern Asian rep. I won't soon forget that whole sequence with Lewis. Yes, uh, powerful, yeah, gr great point with uh, the great Southern Asian rep. So we find out in uh, through the story that Dawn, Edith's mom, marries a guy named Sanjay from India. And she moved there right after uh, graduating high school. She moved there, got married to him, had uh, Edith's brothers and her ultimately. And so that that's pretty cool. It, I think um, the Finches might be... Norweg Norwegian from Norway, something like that. And I forget theirs. You learn it with uh, Odin at the beginning, but honestly, I don't remember now. Um, so it, that's pretty cool. Uh, the kind of two cultures coming and having that. So you only got a little bit on Sanjay, but that was pretty cool uh, that they did that. And and agreed. I definitely won't forget that sequence with Lewis either. It was super trippy. I um, felt the monotony. And, you know, I was probably in that scene for five minutes or something. Not even that long. But I felt it. felt it. I really, really felt it. Um, and felt the imagination and the trippiness there. Uh, yeah. That, that was super wild and um, super effective storytelling. So, well done again um, 
by the team there. And then uh, last, I've got Nikki on Twitter, and uh, she said, I watched the gameplay vid, and it's amazing. I like the story and the flashbacks that tell the story. Yeah, what an effective way to tell the story. Uh, I, I agree. Just getting these moments of time with the characters. Uh, it's quite good. I have to say, I've never seen such beautiful subtitles before. Um, I, yeah, I thought they looked really good, and it was really fun with the subtitles because some of them you would um, like knock the words over and new words would come up or just how they looked or they'd put them on different parts of the screen as it was going. It was really good. I um, tend to play my games with subtitles on, um, you know, like a, a Telltale or Life is Strange or something like that because I don't want to miss anything. And this one, it was cool that they were just built in and uh, helped to aid the story. Really, really like that. Also said, uh, the graphics are super pretty too. <laughs> and then last, uh, should I feel bad for laughing when the deer pushed the guy off the cliff? If uh, you need to feel bad, I also need to feel bad because I laughed. I thought that was great. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny. Uh, especially with so many of these people dying as children and then it's like, oh, this guy makes it to adulthood, but then he just fucks it up anyway. That's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was amusing. So I don't know. If you're supposed to feel bad, then I guess we both have to, but I, I thought it was funny. Yeah, so that that's uh, what remains of Edith Finch. I really, really liked it. Um, if you have not played it, I highly recommend watching a gameplay video or putting it on your you know PlayStation wishlist or Steam wishlist or whatever and picking it up or waiting for it to go on sale and then picking it up then. It's, it's really cool. Um, really, really cool. I'm very happy with this game and... I'm really glad I played it, and even I'm somewhat disappointed that I hadn't played it sooner. Like, it was cool. Really cool. So, yeah, I guess that's the game. Uh, if you have other comments, uh, please write in at thegreateststoryeverplayed at gmail.com uh, or on Twitter at storyeverpod. Uh, please also rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, anything you can do to let other people know about our show, that you enjoy it, and hopefully also other people who enjoy story-driven games. We want to just, uh, I don't know, keep building up this community of people who are into this stuff. So please do that, and uh, yeah, we will see you next time.